In her reflection of her personal practice as a Muslim, Reverend Summer El-Bayeti broadens her experience of Ramadan by asking, what if? What if I were to find spiritual nourishment by entering whatever doors opened up to the divine spirit on a daily basis? What if each day I awakened and began it in theological reflection or praising the name of the divine each morning and evening? Who would I become? In the story, Sally Mai acts out of love for her father and takes up the task of responding to the emperor's seemingly impossible demands meant to set up her father for death and punishment. But rather, Sally Mai provides a perspective that not only thwarts the emperor, but also offers a reminder about what is difficult and struggling in our hearts in some of the, when we can be mean and petty and small, but also what can be, what can broaden us, what can be a message of love, what can be expansive and welcoming and sustaining and whole. She offers a change of perspective. So this is in part what we're offering today in the service. What we're exploring is kind of changes in perspective as informed by a small study of the tradition of Islam. Now, part of the process of exploration is in fact the process. It's really essential, basically. So I want to offer in this moment how I've approached this exploration. Because I will be the first to admit that I know far less about Islam than I do about Christianity or Judaism or Buddhism. And at the same time, I recognize as, that I am, as many of us are, fully immersed in our social context um, that includes challenges with how Westerners perceive Islam, how we perceive the Middle East, and fundamentalism and, uh, and violence, and the long history of all these concerns. So I started with, I started with the faith and the teachings before refreshing my understanding of history and politics and bias. And in particular, I found uh, explanations of love and mercy on muslim.org. Go direct to a source, right? Keep it simple. We don't need to go fancy. We're getting in, in, in the beginning here. Muslim.org. As well as Unitarian Universalist sources. And then I followed up with some history and social context. So what I offer today, in addition to the pieces already shared, are some contexts and a few notes on the great tradition of Islam. This is a mere touch, but it is meant to be one more piece in the effort to explore our theme of love as we are doing this month, but also in recognition of our long liberal tradition in religion to understand how truth is found in so many places, 
In Unitarian Universalism, we explicitly say so. The revelation is continuous, that we find revelation in many, many places and continually find new revelation, that there is no one final say on the frame and definition of the world. We draw on information and inspiration, in this case from the particularities of our world religions, as well as in direct experience, personal and communal, of transcending mystery and wonder. There is such beauty and power in the origin of Islam. You know, Islam begins with Muhammad, a business person. He was an active practitioner of his faith at the time, including observing the periods of fasting, donations to the poor, and other forms of service. So during his observance of faith, he experienced the first of what became many revelations from God and describes them in a way that they were not just... I think we sometimes some of the imagery of revelations of God can be about kind of heart opening and warm and fuzzy and broadening and beautiful, and indeed many of them are. But in this case, Muhammad experienced something that was kind of the revelations pulled out of his soul and actually painful. But he knew they were important and wrote them down. And the revelations resulted in the wisdom from God in a series of verses. Not so much the narratives that we find in Jewish and Christian texts, but in a collection of verses, a series of them in a series of books. Scholar uh, Karen Armstrong talks about in her book, Islam, which I highly recommend. It's a short book, very good book. She tells us that Muhammad created a new literary form and a masterpiece of Arab prose and poetry. So it's not that he simply, you know, got this down as fast as he could. It was crafted and beautiful. And many of the first believers, she says, were converted by the sheer beauty of the Quran, which resonated in their deepest aspirations and cut through their intellectual preconceptions in the matter of great art, how great art can do that, and inspiring them at a level more profound than cerebral to alter their whole way of life. So that first element of listening to the heart of Islam is simply recognizing the beauty in which it was created and composed and sent out into the world. Now, unfortunately, much of this beauty in poetry just doesn't translate well from Arabic to English. And it is a bit of a challenge to not have a narrative. You know, we're not going to have the you know, at Christmas, we celebrate the narrative stories of the birth of Jesus, for example. We don't have that uh, in the form in the Quran. So just getting into it can be its own challenge. Uh, but also in part of the language that comes in the Quran, it's so much focused on um, kind of binary in some ways, the believers and the righteous as well as evildoers, you know, the good and the bad. And so it seems like there's little room for ambiguity in that language, which makes it another challenge for a Unitarian Universalist to kind of enter into uh, if you simply read the English translations. 
So there are reasons why for us in Unitarian Universalism, we would lean toward poetry. We would lean toward the mysticism of the Sufi practices as we have in our opening hymn. But in the unpacking that I found in the uh, interpretations that were, you know, so we need kind of a further step back for unpacking an interpretation from folks who live in this faith. And that's what I was finding in the original sources on Muslim.org is how that was kind of shared and then interspersed the, the reflection and the interpretation and the verses themselves. And so this was from, in particular, from Ustas Ridwan, uh, who's based in Singapore, in Malaysia, writing about teachings of love and mercy in Islam. And here's a few of the pieces, the points that really struck me in the moment. Because I've heard about how Islam is a faith of peace and of love and of justice. But here is more specific examples. So... Uh, Ustaz shared a story of when a prophet was teaching in a city and was attacked and humiliated by the people of that city, including being attacked by children. And so this prophet was injured and was ejected out from the city. And this prophet prayed for presence and support from Allah and asking, asking God, Will you leave me? Will you abandon me? Would you please come and be with me? I seek and refuge in the glory of your light. And in this story, the, an angel was sent to ask the prophet if he wanted Allah to take action against the people who had harmed him. And the prophet responded, no, and said, I'd rather hope that Allah will raise from among their descendants people who will worship Allah the one and will not ascribe partners to him. So the prophet did not respond with rage and retaliation. Instead, he prayed for those who had insulted and hurt him. He rose above hate and enmity and his heart was full of hope and mercy. Another point on the teachings of love offered by um, Ustaz Ridwan, was about compassion and being open with others. And he says, through gestures of love and mercy, even the hardest hearts can be softened, just like how hard rocks can be yielded by the continuous flow of water. At times we may think the harder we are, the better it is for us to fight against those who hate us. However, this is not what the prophet had demonstrated. The prophet showed that love trumps hate. Hate should be challenged with love and mercy, not enmity and violence. And this author even went to go include uh, the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu, who said, whatever is fluid, soft, and yielding will overcome whatever is rigid and hard. This is another paradox, he says. What is soft is strong. So I want to pause here and recognize that the point of some of these pieces on Muslim.org is to guide people toward Islam. I mean, you know, why not? And other stories 
And what's also true is that other people's stories and language reminds us of what we value most as well. Forgiveness and love and mercy. And in Unitarian Universalism, uh, you know, this isn't about uh, yielding for the sake of conversion. Like We're not trying to make somebody like us. But we're trying, I think the continuous practice is in part to examine one's own rigidity. For me, I know for myself, to examine my own rigidity and lack of openness at times. When does that show up? As well as understanding the benefit of tolerance and recognizing many perspectives. I think the last one I want to offer for this moment is one that's also a little challenging for the Unitarian Universalists, the topic of submission. I'm, I'm, <laughs> submission, <gasps> who said that word? It might not surprise you to say, to recognize that, that this concept of submission that is inherent in the practice of Islam is maybe a challenge for the Unitarian Universalists and has been so for a really long time, I'll just say. So my understanding is that submission is, the point of submission is to the practice, to the, the exercise and the practices of faith, such as the five pillars, you know, the prayer and the giving and the service and so on, to Allah. It is to show up for a full theological existential immersion into Allah as the way and the path and the life. No surprise that this understanding of submission would not be a core practice as we might frame it in Unitarian Universalism. I'm going to tell you, we're good at dodging hesitating, avoiding, wanting to talk our way out of, a, out of a situation. We love the words because that can get us out of committing to a path sometimes, committing to conflict or committing to a particular frame of beliefs. But submission, what is that? And submission is also I want to recognize here's the social context that submission is also about the community as well in the practice of many Islamic uh, communities. Hafida Akwe, a Unitarian Universalist who grew up in a Muslim family, talks about this. She points out the community that she grew up in. Her family was very moderate, but the community expected conformity and a conformity based on religious beliefs around modesty, women being soft-spoken, not the women here, women being soft-spoken, limiting contact with non-Muslims, and the guarding of the community that can be part of that is totally understandable given, given centuries of persecution from the West. And there's also more perspectives. There are moderate Muslims, there are progressive Muslims, and there are more variations thereof, who understand 
that each person has worth is to be respected and is to be an active participant in the faith in the community. So submission is not without respect and inherent worth. Submission contains multitudes. And the one that I connected in Unitarian Universalism is the fact that we are part of a vast existence and are such a small part of the vastness of all that is. We are so dependent on each other and on those who have gone before. We are dependent on social systems which, navigate, which we navigate and often don't address consciously. So let me offer a note of caution against one definition of submission, obscuring what we could gain from possible reflection and comprehension. Because we have a way of acknowledging submission in our own tradition, which is that we covenant to affirm and promote the inherent, uh, the interdependent web of existence of which we are a part. We place ourselves in this dynamic tension between freedom and responsibility, liberation and relationship, and doing so in covenant. There might be something to learn in submission. So let me close with an invitation to practice. That Islam is not any one tradition or manifestation in the years of its existence and the ways in which it has been practiced across human life and around the globe, like any other faith. I invite us to listen with compassion and love and service and peace that are also at the heart and core of this faith and require present and true, uh, that are present and true and require study and context. As Reverend Summer Albeati reminds us, what if I were to find spiritual nourishment by entering whatever doors opened up to the divine spirit on a daily basis? What if each day I awakened and began it in theological reflection and praising the name of the divine every morning and evening? What would I become? Let us go forth and find out together. Amen.